hope of glorification is complete and final transformations of our bodies, our whole person, to be like the glorious body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And our hope is in a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come to this last aspect, last part of your glorious plan of salvation, the goal of your saving work, glorification, I pray that you would remind us of the bright future that we have as the people of God in this day where so many things plague us, where we are subject to sickness and corruption and death and all manner of realities of this fallen world. In the midst of all of that, Father, work such that we would be people of hope, the hope of glorification. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15? We'll begin reading at verse 42 and read through the end of the 15th chapter of Corinthians. So it is with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus, it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have been born, just as we have borne the image of man, the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall all be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Then the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on the immortal. Then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. In the mid-2000s, business professionals began using the early smartphones, Windows Mobile, 
and blackberries. I remember my first smartphone. It was a Palm Trio. Any Palm Trio users in yesteryear? Oh, excuse me. Oh, my. Sorry. Apple introduced the iPhone in about 2007. The iPhone with a touch screen, and I'm sure you Android people, whomever you are, could say similar things about your smartphone, your, your mobile device. And that technology has changed everything. Oh, my. That's disturbing. You know, technology really has enhanced our lives, hasn't it? And there's a lot of good that we experience from our computers, from the web, from our smartphones, from just the ability to be able to communicate with so many people in various parts of the world almost instantaneously. Missions has been really transformed, getting prayer requests almost instantaneously. So many things for which our technology has afforded us and enhances our lives. But technology is a double-edged sword. And what I mean by that is since the mid-2000s, some have come to the opinion as they have done their research that the stress level of our society has increased dramatically. I wonder why that might be. Wow. Our smartphones connect us 24-7 to news, often bad. We have an endless ability to see and to read other people's opinions, some of which really makes us mad. The weather on your little app, most days like today, we're happy as can be, but tornado season, we can really be stressed out with that Doppler radar ever in front of our face. Social connections, virtual relationships that have probably isolated us more than we ever have been from personal contact. And shopping at our fingertips the promise of happiness in a box delivered to your doorstep with one day or maybe two days shipping. Stress is just one example of what technology has brought us. Good things, yes, but I think we all have to admit that, that we can be tied to these devices and be stressed out with what we see and what we hear more than we have ever been. And so stress is just one of the examples that 
that depict the struggle that we have living in this fallen world, a world where we are subject to corruption, not just sin, but just simply our bodies failing, where we're subjected to sickness, where we're ultimately, as Roger reminded us today, where we will be subjected to death itself. And as we live in this world with good things, yes, but plenty of things that stress us out, concern us, things in which we struggle with, what is essential for the believer to abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord our labor is not in vain? What, what is essential for us to face the realities of living in this fallen world? but not to be overcome by them, to be people of hope, a hope that is rooted in a glorious future. This is where we come in our sermon series entitled Save to the Uttermost. We come to the end, the doctrine of glorification. And today we'll be encouraged to continue to root and ground our hope, not in today, but in that future reality, that future state that God has promised us, that is a complete and final redemption of our bodies to be like Christ's glorious bodies and a renewed creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And so today we will explore this doctrine of glorification by looking at three things, the goal, the meaning, and the hope. First, Paul points God's people to where they are headed. His saving work is for each believer to be glorified. That is the goal. That is our destination. So where am I headed? The, the technology that we've been talking about this morning, this little iPhone, there's some real value to it. So, for example, I can... I can pull up my map app on my iPhone, and you have one too, whatever it might be. You plug in your starting point, and you plug in your destination, and you hit that button, you touch that screen, and in a moment, in the, in the twinkling of an eye, you got not only a course, but course options. With estimated times of arrival, you may even have traffic, and so you can know where you are going just by this handy-dandy little smartphone with its map app. Well, our study in God's saving work is similar in this way, that there's a starting point and there's a destination, and there are not course options. There is one course that God has laid out for us to get from our starting point to the end point, which is glorification. And that course, as you may recall, is that outward call of the gospel, effectual calling and regeneration, conversion, justification, adoption, sanctification, and perseverance, all of that. That course, that starting point, that destination, starting point being... God's eternal decree of election in eternity past all brings us with absolute dependability 
to the destination glorification. And so when we look at verse 57, look at your text, verse 57 of 1 Corinthians 15, we see that the goal of election, the goal of God's saving work in our lives is to bring us to that complete and final victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is that that victory that is realized in glorification. Everything we experience in this life, even stress, even disappointment, sickness, struggles, even death itself, God sovereignly uses to bring about our good. And what is our good? I believe one way to understand our good, our ultimate good, is that we would reach that destination safely and enter into that state of glorification according to the promises of God. And so Romans 8, 28 through 30 actually teaches this. Turn in your Bibles to Paul's epistle to the Romans, chapter 8, beginning with verse 28. And we know that for those who who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. All things are working together for good. And what is our good? That we would also be glorified. That is God's goal for us. As believers, we may forget on any given day where we are going. We may walk in a room and ask, why did I come in this room? We may be driving and think to ourselves, where am I going? But we should never be confused about the end of salvation, about our destination as the people of God. We are bound for the promised land. Our destination is glorification. Does that encourage you? Is that something that is important to you? The goal of glorification will be achieved. And we look at Philippians 1 6, where Paul says, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Our hope must be rooted in the goal. The goal of glorification must drive us. That goal is a complete and final redemption of our bodies to be like Christ's glorious bodies and to experience a renewed creation, a new heaven, and a new earth. God's goal for his people. Praise God for that. And then second, Paul teaches about the meaning of glorification. And here's the the very base or foundational meaning of glorification, that God will transform our bodies into bodies, our whole person, that will be fit for our heavenly life. Right now, our bodies are fit for this earthly life, but change is coming. Our body types will change, and they will be, we will be fit 
for life in eternity with God. That's the meaning of glorification. Atheist and materialist Richard Dawkins recently turned 80. And he admitted that he is conscious of his impending death. But this is what he said. That I remain adamant that there is nothing waiting for us on the other side. And Dawkins also said this. We're all going to die. But we are the lucky ones. Dawkins feels lucky that his life on earth is all there is. Once it is over, there is nothing. But his luck will run out when he realizes that there is life after death. There is a standing that every person that has ever lived will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and either be ushered in to heaven or cast down into hell to experience torment forever. None of us would be, be pleased to see a fellow human being reject Christ, die, and go to hell. That should break our hearts. But that's the reality of Scripture. The believer, however, is bound for glory. So, so what does glorification mean? When does it occur? Look at verses 42 through 44 and 51 through 52 of 1 Corinthians 15. Here, here Paul gives us an under understanding of, of glorification and the first thing that, that, that I want us to see is that glorification takes place at Jesus's second coming look at verse 52 it tells us that that believers will enter into the state of glorification at that last trumpet and this is a reference to the second coming of Christ at the end of the age Paul teaches this very same Reality in 1 Thessalonians 4.16 where he speaks of with the sound of the trumpet of God, Christ will come. Glorification takes place instantly for all believers. When Christ comes again, all believers will be glorified. Look at verses 51 and 52. Paul teaches, we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet so those who died in the Lord will be raised from the dead at the Lord's return and along with believers who are alive at Christ's return all will be changed verse 51 we shall all be changed Paul says in verse 52 glorification takes place at Christ's second coming glorification takes place instantaneously we are all glorified at the same time, is the point. Glorification is a corporate event. We are gathered together here in worship. One day, the true church of Jesus Christ will be gathered together and glorified at the same time. So we read about this in 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry 
of a command with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Do you see the corporate nature of this event when Christ comes again and the church is caught up together with him, glorified instantaneously and corporately. Now, I want to make just a, just a point here. Glorification does not take place at death, at our individual death. So there's an intermediate state. It's that period of time between the physical death of a believer and the second coming of Christ where the believer dies, his body rests in the grave, and the soul of that believer goes to glory, goes to be with the Lord. Now, that is a blessed state. Paul said, I would rather be with the Lord than continue down here, but that's not glorification. Glorification happens at Christ's second coming. Our ultimate hope is not that our souls will be with the Lord in heaven and our bodies will remain in the grave. Our ultimate hope is not that our soul would be with the Lord in heaven, but yet sickness and death and corruption still remain. No, our hope is our whole person will be changed instantaneously and sickness, death, and corruption will be destroyed. That is the state to which Paul refers here in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 54 through 57, that we are taking to mean glorification. Glorification is when, verses 54 through 57, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glorification is that ultimate and final victory in the Lord Jesus Christ when sin, death, and Satan are all destroyed and we are all instantaneously transformed in body and soul to be like the glorious body of Christ. The perishable, Paul says, the perishable body putting on the imperishable, and the mortal body putting on immortality, verse 53. Again, this is referring to more the nature of that change that will take place at Christ's second coming. The, the natural body is that body that is perishable, that body that is mortal, that, that is subject to corruption, decay, and death. That those believers who die, their bodies will be raised to a spiritual body that is imperishable, not subject to decay, not subject to corruption, and is immortal. The natural, perishable, immortal bodies of those who are alive at Christ's coming will also be changed to the same spiritual bodies. Thus Paul teaches, we shall all, the dead and alive in Christ be changed. We will enter into glorification with new bodies, spiritual bodies. 
And just a note about these spiritual bodies, it really does point to the fact that these bodies, it is not that our heavenly existence will be immaterial. Rather, spiritual points to these bodies being fit for the eternal state of heaven. Imperishable, not subject to decay, corruption, sickness, and one that is immortal, not subject to death any longer. So Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, our natural body, to be like his glorious body, spiritual body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The complete and final state of glorification, though, involves something else. It involves the renewal of creation. So turn to Romans 8, 20, verse 23. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we eagerly, as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Paul here is pointing to glorification, the redemption of, of our bodies. And so not only will we experience transformation, but creation itself will be, the curse will be rolled back. Not only in our physical bodies, but also in creation itself. And in scriptures, oftentimes we see this referred to as the new heaven and new earth. 2 Peter 3.13, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And then in the text that Carl read earlier, in Isaiah 65, 17, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. John Murray, who really is so helpful as a theologian, wrote this. When we think of glorification, then, it is not narrow a narrow perspective that we entertain. It is a renewed cosmos new heavens and a new earth that we must think of as the context of the believer's glory, a cosmos delivered from the consequences of sin in which there will be no more curse, but in which righteousness will have complete possession and undisturbed habitation. The hope of glorification is a complete and final transformation, redemption of our bodies to be like in the likeness of Christ's glorious body and a renewal of creation in a new heavens and a new earth. Glorification, God's work of making our whole person fit for an eternal existence with him in heaven. And the last point I want to make today is the hope of glorification it is our future 
And today, it, that hope of glorification must be forever at the forefront of our minds and in our hearts. Horace, a first century B.C. poet, is credited with that rather famous phrase, carpe diem. It was something that he included in a poem. And the context of the poem can be summarized in this way. Horace saying, seize the day and put little trust as possible in the future. In other words, today is all that there is. And we have no certainty about the future. So eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Uh, this is something that Richard Dawkins would say. Seize the day. But I want us to think about seizing the day a little differently. Our future is certain. And the certain future is a resurrected body and soul fit for heaven and a new heavens and a new earth. And this hope and this reality must drive us. Look to verse 58 of 1 Corinthians 15. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I think what Paul is telling us here is seize the day. Make the most of every day as a child of God living for him and for his people in this world that is still suffering the effects of the fall. Sin, sickness, corruption, and death. Seize the day. Don't be driven by the stress. Don't be driven by the circumstances. Therefore, Paul says, in light of glorification, in light of the resurrection of the dead, in light of Christ's second coming, in light of God fitting our body and soul to live with him in heaven for eternity, seize the day. Live each and every day for the Lord, being about the callings that God has placed before you. Live each day and seize it as an ambassador of Christ in this world, as one whom God has raised up to be his agent, his witness to expand his kingdom in this world. Seize the day. Be steadfast, be immovable, abound in the work of the Lord. Let me tell you this, Christians should be the most hopeful people in society because we're the only people that have the reasons to hope. And it's because of this glorious future when everything will be the way it was meant to be. And it will be, and we will be there as well. We began this series on salvation with David Arms painting God's story. You may remember that, the four panels. It recounts redemptive history in four parts, creation, fall, redemption, consummation. That fourth panel, consummation, is really where we are today, the doctrine of 
glorification. And one of the, the, the way in which Arms painted that fourth panel was to bleed over the content of that fourth panel beyond the border a, a, as if we're looking at it and the painting keeps on going past the border, indicating that it can, there's something, that state continues into eternity. What a beautiful way to understand glorification. It is a state that we enter for eternity. God's story of salvation began with election. We've journeyed the course through the means of salvation, and now we come to the destination of the saved, which is glorification. And the story of God's people in heaven the story of his saving work never ends. Think about that. It continues. Erickson, a theologian, modern theologian, wrote, the doctrine of perseverance guarantees that sal the, the salvation they, the believer, possesses will never be lost. The doctrine of glorification promises that something better lies ahead. And something better does lie ahead for God's people. Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18 said this, So we do not lose heart. Man alive, do we need to be exhorted by Paul in that way? Because it is so easy to lose heart as we live in this world today. But Paul says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, corruption, decay, our inner self is being renewed day by day. We're being strengthened to embrace this hope of glorification. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Don't lose heart. Root your hope in the things that are eternal. Paul ends his teaching on Jesus' return to gather the elect into the state of glorification in 1 Thessalonians 4.18 with these words. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And we need to encourage one another with the doctrine of glorification to remind us, especially those of us who find ourselves losing heart. Brother, sister, <laughs> this is where you're headed. We need to be encouraged with the hope of glorification as we persevere in this stressed out world, subjected to corruption, sickness, and death. Glorification points us to the reality of a future that is better. The hope of glorification is a complete and final transformation of our bodies to be like Christ's glorious body and a new heavens and a new earth. Therefore, 
encourage one another with these things. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that uh, your word is profoundly encouraging and medicine for our weary souls. And I pray that each one here today, including myself, would not lose heart, but flee to you and trust you and place our hope and our trust in you for one day, by your grace and mercy and power, we will enter that state of glorification and we will experience everything as it was meant to be. We pray for your grace. We pray for your guidance. We pray for your comfort. We pray for your mercy. In Christ's name, amen.